So we are in Romans 6 this morning. I would encourage you to have that on your phone, if not in a physical copy of the scriptures in your hand. So you can look up and down. Um, Our style of teaching here is called expository teaching. And so our idea is that we bring out of the text the stuff is there. Our hope and our goal is that when you go home, you should be able to look and see, all right, I understand that passage. I see what God is saying more than what Scott is saying. Because what Scott thinks and says isn't very important. What God says means the world. All right. So we're in our text today, Romans chapter 6. You know, when we first come to um, think about Jesus, and we first come deal with him, a lot of times we, we, well, we have to interact with this concept of, of sin or rebellion against God. And usually when we first start thinking about it, there's one of two things we're thinking about. Uh, number one, sometimes it's really deep conviction. I'm really bothered by who I, I am. Uh, just this week, I had conversations where people were really bothered by their sin. God's just stirring in them. The Spirit's stirring them. They hate their sin. The other one is, you know, especially when we're younger and we come to inter- uh, interact with sin, we hear about it, we know that sin has a punishment. We think, oh man, hell, sin, punishment. I don't want that. I want to flee from impending punishment. And that's a good thing to flee from it. So a lot of times our first introduction to sin is just something we want to get away from. And so when we think of freedom, we're looking for freedom from this consequence, right? What it would actually do to us. But then what happens is over time, God opens our eyes to understand more and more what's really going on. So when we come to know Jesus, usually we only know the smallest thing about Jesus, I'm away from God. I don't want to be away from God anymore. I want to be with God. And Jesus died on the cross and rose again to accomplish that. So it's very simple. That's why a child can put their childlike faith in Jesus and become fully, fully, 100% saved and loved by God just as much as you old genius walking with Jesus 60 years, half the New Testament quoting Christian. Both eminently loved by God because of the work of Jesus by simple, genuine faith. But then... God's kind to us. He impacts it, right? You're, you're welcomed into the kingdom in a very simple way, and then he impacts it. Last week when we were talking on the concepts of baptism, there's these deep things, right? Amazing things he points to. But you didn't understand that probably when you were baptized. Baptism, as we saw last week, was really this, this initial rite. When people come to know Jesus, um, Jesus says, all right, you put your faith in me. Now let's go get baptized, right? And in baptism, you're, it almost sounds kind of funny, but you're like publicly divorcing yourself from your old self. You're saying, I once was against God, an enemy and running away from him, but no longer, I'm dead to that. So it's almost like a public active divorce away from the old you. Therefore, it is a full on assault of your dignity, right? And probably... The older you are going on in life, the more you might feel that. Um, so I was talking to someone this week who is um, um, past their 30s, and their concept of baptism is, when we're talking about it, it meant more. Right? They're like, hmm, that's a heavy thing, right? Because I'm saying something so publicly that there's a new work in me. So we saw that last week in verses 1 to 4. Because in this book, in chapter 5, there is you come along in this great story of Romans where Non-Jewish people are against God. Jewish people are against God. Um, we're all sinners. We're all alienated from him. But then Jesus comes to reconcile us all to God by doing his work. And this, this theme comes over us saying, you know what? For those of us that know him, as your sin gets pointed out, grace will abound. His grace will always be bigger than your sin. If you don't know him, that is not in effect for you. 
until a person puts their faith in Jesus, there is not a greater grace that you can count on. But you can have that grace. All you, can say, all you have to do is say, God, I want that grace. I don't want to hold my own punishment, my own rebellion in my hand. I want to trust in you. And so you can have it. So if you are in Jesus, he says, no matter what you find, no matter how your interaction with Jesus, the amazing king and all that he is, um, as it unfolds, as, as you come up against Jesus, you will increasingly find your smallness and your sinfulness. It's just going to happen. The deeper you read in Scripture, the more you're like, I mean, how many conversations have I had? Many of us, like, was I even saved last week? Right, you know, we're reading the Bible and we're like, man, man, and, and, and the difference between who he is and who I am becomes greater and greater. So our understanding, the cross has to become greater and greater to bridge that gap because what he says is you get a greater grace, greater grace. No matter what you find about yourself, my grace abounds over the top of it. So we as believers stand confidently in the greater grace of God given through Jesus. And so at the end of chapter 5, there is this good question. It's a good logical question saying, well, if greater grace comes when more sin is, sin, uh, sin is seen, shouldn't we then sin more? And chapter 6 is dedicated to the heck no, no. Because what salvation is, is war against sin. And so while we understood such a little thing about sin, like, hey, sin has punishment, and it does, and it's huge. And sin brings us guilt, and it does, and it's huge. Chapter 6 is devoted to some great degree of extending how bad it is that it created such a great, massive need on God's behalf to do something for us in the work of Jesus. So verses 1 to 4 in chapter 6, is he says, no, we should not go on in sin. Remember back when you were baptized, because as a Christian, you would be baptized. Do you remember when you baptized? You reenacted death with Jesus. You went all the way into the water. You were buried with, with Christ in baptism. You, by baptizing, being baptized, are signifying death with Jesus. And you probably didn't get all that when you're baptized. In baptism, you're like, I don't know what this is. Jesus tells me to do it. There's, it's signifying a change and I'm all in. But then he comes back later and he says, this is what this means, right? You had this happen to you. You want some help in dealing with sin? Think about what happened when you're baptized. You were baptized into the death of Jesus. And so this week, he goes on to give us some more help. Guys, um, I'm a sinner by nature. Um, I've been saved by Jesus for a lot of years, and I wrestle with sin. I sinned this week. I have to repent this week. I did, really. And actually, every Christian I know has to, uh, they will sin, and they will repent. There is this ongoing battle against sin. So there's a, there's a little jingle used in Christianity. It's probably helpful. Um, three interactions with sin. For the believer, when you come to know Jesus, right, you are, you are freed from the penalty of sin. So the moment you put your faith in Jesus, the penalty for sin for you is gone. Boom, right? And then in your living, he has freed you from the power of sin. You still sin, you still wrestle with it, but the power of it over you is now liberated. And then someday when he takes you home and you see his face, then you're freed from the presence of sin. So right now and forevermore freed from the penalty of sin, right now, freed from the penalty of sin, and freed from the power and dominion of sin of your life. And then someday, not only the power uh, of sin being freed from, but actually the presence will be gone. And that's going to be a sweet day. That's going to be a sweet day when you wake up and you're not an idiot. It's going to be a sweet day when, like, every, around every corner is this opportunity to be tempted into sin. It's going to be a sweet, sweet day. 
that you will no longer stab Jesus in the back and that I will no longer insult his grace and his love for us. Won't that be a sweet day? But all hope is not lost. Between being freed from the penalty of sin and someday being prayed for in the presence of sin is this life now where he's going to say, let me tell you something about, let me get some details of how this works. There is sin, okay, sin you're going to deal with, but you are no longer under its control. You are no longer under its mastery. In fact, things have changed. So today's text is dedicated to that, and it's woven very deeply to who Jesus is and what he did and your unity with him in this, okay? So here we go. So we're in our text, Romans chapter 6. I'd like you to take a look in verse 5. It says this, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So we often talk about in the gospel, Jesus is our substitute. Yes, Jesus was our substitute for our punishment. Took it, gone. Yes. And Jesus was our substitute for righteousness. Because my friend Alex, as great as he is, he didn't have righteousness. As squeaky clean as he is, didn't have righteousness. He needed, all, he needed all righteousness. So the moment he came to know Jesus, Jesus was his substitute and took on his penalty. And Jesus substituted in with righteousness because Jesus pulled off 33 and a half years of life without messing up one time, earned perfect man's righteousness, and puts it in Alex's account. He's the substitute. Okay, so yes, Jesus is our substitute for us. But in this passage, something yet even a step farther amazing shows up. He's not only our substitute, but we're unified with him. So in verse 5, it says, For if we have been unified, united with him in death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So not just simply a substitute for us, but we are united with him in these actions. Some kind of mysterious spiritual things that have full-on heavenly court effect on us. We are united with Christ in his death and united with Christ in his resurrection. Because you remember, Jesus lived, Jesus died, and Jesus rose again. And if you put your faith in Jesus, he says, not only am I your substitute, but you're actually united with me. And you get stuff from that that you couldn't get otherwise. Let's continue on. Uh, verse 6. We know that the old self was crucified with him. So because of this unification with Christ, not only did he die for us, but we died with Jesus on the cross. So check this out. I know, if you play back the video of the crucifixion, which you can't because there's no cameras, you would see that Jesus alone is on that cross. But spiritually speaking, when you put your faith in Jesus, you died with him. You were crucified with him on the cross. He was your substitute, therefore you were there since you were united with him. But we died with Jesus on the cross. Our death sentence was carried out there. We know that our old self, verse, verse 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, stripped of power, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin, for the one who has died has been set free from sin. So our text today is titled, Died Once to Live On. Died Once to Live On, from the Romans 6. Our first piece here is done. There's going to be two things we're going to point out in this text here that are done. And there's going to be three things that are how he's going to give us at the end. So done number one, liberated from sin by death. You're liberated from sin by death. So according to the argument, we are united with Christ and we were crucified with him because 
we needed to die. The old me, the old Alex, needed to die. So I'm crucified. My old self is crucified with Christ on the cross as I put my faith in him. And it gives a certain effect. And the effect it gives in here is so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. You and I as people, before we come to know Jesus, we are under the undeniable mastery of sin in our life. You're enslaved to it. Now you can change the flavor of it. You can quit telling them little white lies and start being more truthful. You can quit this and start this, but you cannot stop sinning. The first move of non-sin is clinging to Jesus. So we as unbelievers, when we don't know Jesus, though you can up and down your morality, you're not ever done sinning because you continue to stand there and stiff arm the gracious king of heaven saying, nope, you're wrong. Nope, you're not the standard. Nope, I'm not that bad. And as long as you have your hands up and your palms out to Jesus saying, nope, you're in sin, no matter what's coming out of your body. And we might like it less or more, and there might be greater or lesser justice that comes upon you in the future for your choices to be mean to people versus being kind to you. But you live in sin, and everything you do is sin, because without the Spirit of God, you cannot please God. You are incapable of anything but sin, as loving as it happens to look. And you have to be freed from that. You have to be freed from it. It is something that hangs over you that is too big for you, and you can't shake it off. You can, you can quit a habit. You can quit an addiction. You can quit being a jerk, but that doesn't mean you quit sinning. You have to have be freed from sin. And what's interesting is the work of God, what it took for God to be able to do the work in you as a child to free you from having to sin. And everything you do, having the title sin plastered across of it, is that you had to die with Jesus. Jesus had to go die so he could drag you along with it so your death could happen because you needed to die to sin so that you no longer are mastered by it. So as we look on in our text here, we see that without death, we cannot be liberated from sin. We will be enslaved from it. So we needed the death of Jesus and us dying with Jesus so we could be free from that because you can't defeat sin. I mean, for those of us that know Jesus, do, do, you, do you identify with me how hard it is for us to fight sin? It's really, really hard to fight sin. Even when you, the, most, the more you know about Jesus, the more you know the power of Jesus, the more you actually know how hard it is to fight sin, the more you become aware of, like, without Jesus, I'm just dead in the water. Absolutely, I was dead in the water. I didn't have the power to defeat sin. But now, through Christ, I'm now freed from that. So, done number one, we are liberated from sin. You're not liberated that, that you don't sin anymore. You're liberated from the dominion and power of sin over your life. Number two, done. Liberated to live with and for Christ, verses 8 to 10, says this. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we, that we will also live with him. So there's something chained together. If you die with Jesus, you rise with Jesus. Now, if we have died with Jesus, we believe that we will also live with him. Verse 9. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So, again, we are un united with, unified in Christ. 
We die with him. We live with him. And this, this language of resurrection happens. And usually when we think of resurrection, we think of our body, right? Someday, um, if, I, if I die 10 years from now, um, we'll, we'll bury me. That'd be nice. Appreciate it if you guys do that. Um, you bury me, but then, then eventually Jesus, I, I will live on with him, right? I will consciously be with the Lord. But eventually in the future, Jesus comes back down and he gets this body, pulls it out of the ground, and my 10 toes stand on gra grassy ground. I get physically resurrected, so do you. And when we don't, we aren't yet resurrected physically, we long for that day. It's something where we're with Jesus, but we're longing for the physical resurrection. We get the resurrection through Jesus. But what this is speaking of here is not so much bodily resurrection, it's spiritual resurrection. You, the old you dies with Jesus, you are no longer under dominion of sin, and now you actually can live by the resurrection power of God. If you die with him, you will live with him. There's a new you. The old you is gone. And so the old you was dedicated, consecrated, focused on not Jesus, and the new you now lives with God. And we live further and further and further along with him, trusting him, knowing him, growing in him as we go along. So the first done is this, is that we are liberated from sin. The second one is we are liberated to live with and for Christ. Uh, but but just, just like listen to that language. Look in verse 4. The reason I say this is, is you'll notice a little argumentative, argumentative line in order that. So in verse 4, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that we too might walk in newness of life. Look to verse 5. For if we have been unif united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united in him with a resurrection like his. Verse 8. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. If a person dies with Jesus, a person does live with Jesus. Should we go on sinning that, sinning that grace may abound? Certainly not, because what grace does brings us to life. We're no longer people walking around, um, not only under the, the penalty of sin, but under the power of sin no more. It's a whole new thing. We're freed from the penalty of sin, and we are now also liberated from the power of sin in our life. So these are the two things that are put here. And when we get to be living with him, uh, just think some of this language in John 15, we're abiding with him, right? What is this new relationship with God? Kids said it last week, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, or all your muchness. Think of John 15. What is it? It's to abide with him, that we might abide with him and he in us. This is this new life with Christ. The new life, if we think the new life is just simply like getting forgiveness and getting taken to heaven when we die, we're not understanding the new life. We're not understanding the, the switching of the grand sides. Half of humanity going against God until he's cha they're trans transformed by him into the other half of humanity, which is for God. And we are for him now, and we are for him forever with him in heaven. So two things. Number one, we're liberated from sin by death. Number two, we're liberated to live with and for Christ by what Christ has done. The new life of living with God to God is our new life, and it is, as promised, the sweetest, deepest, richest life. And brothers and sisters, we have tasted it, right? So those of us that have known Jesus, haven't we tasted it? Haven't we tasted like the sweetness of when we're walking with him, we're remembering who he is and what he's done for us, and that we're not under the power, the joy that comes from it? And also, brothers and sisters, don't we all know the firsthand misery of when we're stupid and we give back into our old master? We know, we know that's death. We know it's sadness, anxiety, 
uh, suffering, pain, guilt. We know all of that. But life with Christ is sweet. And we couldn't have life with Christ without having died with Christ and having raised with Christ. The work of the cross for us, the point of it, is, is living with God in this life and the next. It's not simply escape from punishment. Even though that might be what you thought in the moment you came to know Jesus. But now he's unfolding it. Jesus, your king, is standing in front of you going, oh man, look at this big stuff. Look what I'm doing. Okay, so that's the two duns. Let's actually come down to um, some of the hows, right? So how do you, what do you do with this, right? Because this is kind of heady stuff. I'm united with Christ and united in his death and I'm freed from some invisible like master of sin in my life. Well, let's talk about how we actually work with this. Number one, how? Number one, preach to yourself. Preach to yourself. Look at verse 11. So you also, Christian, must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. Okay, just, if you've been here for a little while and you've been going through Romans with us, there's a really strange word that comes up again and again and again and again and again in Romans. Um, consider or counted or reckoned. comes from this language of being spoken authoritatively over. You remember back in chapter 4, when, when, uh, when he's talking about how salvation comes, and he says, Abraham believed God, and it was proclaimed over him as righteousness. Like Gidzimai, spoken, counted, reckoned officially as righteousness. Same word here. Same exact word here. This is what we are supposed to do to ourselves. So if these things are true, and we have died with Christ and risen with Christ, he tells you to do something with it. He doesn't just say, hey, lock it away, and consider it. He goes, actually, no, no, no. I want you to proclaim something. You must consider, proclaim to yourselves, dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So we often call this preaching the gospel to ourselves. That's what we mean. When I say preach the gospel to yourself, I don't mean like you need a lectern in your house and like have this weird discussion, but, but simply this. Every day you have to remember who you are, not how you feel who you are, who Jesus says who you already are. Not who you could be today, but what Christ says, you already are in him. So you go deeper, and then you proclaim it back to yourself. Because I'm, I'm just telling you, and, and brothers and sisters, I, I believe you would know this to be true. The more you look at God, the farther along you go along, the more you'll often wake up in the morning and not feel good about this. Because you understand his love better, and you understand his holiness better, and you understand his graciousness better. You now have like countless thousands of days in the rearview mirror of him being good to you, and good to you, and good to you, and good to you. And then yesterday, you just completely blew him off. And it feels bad, and it also feels dangerous. The God who holds all things together by word of his power is constantly smack-talked by this ungrateful little chump change of a child of his. It's legitimately a concern. And if you rest on that in yourselves, you will scurry like a roach into the dark. You'll throw your hands up and say, I can't do anything. But God says, no, 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 no. I want you to consider yourself. Speak to yourself. Don't listen to yourself. Speak to yourself these truths. You, my child, have died with Christ. And you, my child, you've risen with Christ. You are united with Christ. That is who you are. In Psalm 43, verse 5, it says this, and this is language from the Old Testament. Um, uh, years ago, back when I had my former life in California, and, and Melissa and I were doing a college ministry, um, we had read through a book called Spiritual Depression by Martin Lloyd-Jones. It's a really good book. 
And uh, this is one of his principles. Preach the gospel to you. Like, enough of the listening to yourself. Start speaking to yourself. The principles all through scripture. Here's one in Psalm 43, 5. Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my, and my God. God tells us who he is. God tells us who we are. And he tells us that because we're not going to think about it correctly. Every day we're not going to think about it correctly. And he calls you to rise out of bed and preach to yourself. Preach to yourself peace from the God of heaven who has authoritatively proclaimed peace and has told you to remind yourself of it. He's told you to remind yourself of it when you pray. Father, our Father in heaven. Not starting off with all your sins. He goes, no, no, start off with me. Start off with this established relationship. Our Father. Allow Jesus to show up in the upper room on your worst days and say, peace to you. Peace to you. Don't try to like shower up and get all cleaned up and like show yourself better to the Lord. Remember who Christ is. Remember what he's called you to confess to yourself that you are the Lord's and that he has died for you and risen for you and that you have died and risen in him. So there's a newer depth. We, you, you've probably had categories of thinking substitution all your life. I just want to add, put you, add, call you to a little further stretches of this. United with Christ. You're in Christ. And so when you're preaching to yourself, as you should, you're reminding yourself, the one who won't think very well about it until you do, who am I? I am the one united in Christ, and I have died with Christ. I am dead. But now I'm alive. I'm alive in Christ. So number one, he tells us to preach to himself. Um, number two, take the wheel from the passions. I know, I had that Jesus take the wheel song in my head all week long. So as one who already died with Christ, remind yourself, tell yourself of your death and new life. The second one, take the wheel from your passions. Look at verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. That's this thing, right? Don't let sin reign in it. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Okay, you've got passions. Oh, they're already fired up this morning. For some of us, it's Another donut back there. Some of us, it's lunch. Some of us, a nap this afternoon. Some of us, is hopes of love. Some of us, it's hopes of cash. But man, we are just passion factories. I mean, just, you, you're, you're going to be breathing out passions all day long. It's just they look different. But you want stuff. Oh, you want stuff. And maybe you want really safety from everything. And so you're like a control freak and full of anxiety, whatever. Or maybe like you're just like, I just want to play. I just want fun, 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 fun. I just want, I want the comfort that brings. Or maybe you're like, hey, I just, want, I, just want to, I just want to stop and be quiet and rest. Or maybe you like to just dominate people. Whatever those things are, we have those desires, passions that flow out of us. And God says, speak to yourself, your identity in me. Don't listen to yourself. The passions that come out of you are not dependable trustworthy sources for direction in your life. And because you died in Jesus, you no longer are a slave to them. You have a whole new category of freedom where you can say no to it all. But truth be told, usually you actually have to think about it first before you can say no to it and yes to what the Lord may want. We have to create some category because what happens is our, our little peepers open up after that third snooze in the morning and, um, and we don't think about it, but our hearts are just so fluent in our passions. Oh, we want stuff. It starts off maybe with a cup of coffee or a 
big sugary bowl of cereal or something like that. Or it starts off with like hopes of that fun that you're going to have this evening or hopes of maybe accomplishing something at work or hopes of this or that. But man, your heart is just coughing up these passions and and you're just, you're just latching on to them. You don't even think about it. You're like, oh, man, you just start following them to that. Like, oh, I want to get warmed up in the shower. Oh, I want a little bit of food. Oh, I want this. Oh, I want that. A heart coughs them up. We grab them right away. But God says, that's not you anymore. You're no longer bound to follow the Lord of your passions. Um, I know that Oprah and Mickey tell you to follow your heart, but Jesus says something different. He said, you don't have to follow the, your heart, and you shouldn't follow your heart. You shouldn't be obeying his passions. Instead, you should be speaking to yourself the words of truth. So we've got to go back to Jesus, look at Jesus freshly, ask him through the power of his spirit, what do you want me to do? Some of those things are extraordinarily clear, running away from sin, and then some things have to really be guided by the spirit of how then do I love? How then do I invest my life? How then do I invest this day? Because the third piece is this. Present yourself to God. Look at verse 13. Verse 13 says, Do not present your members to sin as instruments, members being your, your body. Okay? Do not present your members to sin as instruments unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. So let's break this down. Do not present your members as sin to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. So all day long, you make decision after decision after decision after decision, and you will present yourself, your body, your hands, your feet, your eyes, your mind, your money, your time. You're going to present it time and time again to something. And it will be presented to godlessness, natural, impulsive direction, or it will be presented towards the Lord. In his words, in this, in this, in this passage here, presented instruments for unrighteousness is the one option, or the second option, your members to God as instruments for righteousness. You are presenting, Christian, you are presenting your bodies as instruments to something all through the day. You're already doing it. Most of the time, it's you're just not thinking about when we're doing it. When we first come to the Lord, we're just so on autopilot, just doing stuff. We're not even thinking about this. The Spirit of God is calling us to think. The Spirit of God is calling us to be mindful. The Spirit of God is calling us to walk in the Spirit, to slow down, not to be impulsive, passion-driven creatures. That's not who you are any longer. You're freed from that. You can slow it down. You can look to the Lord. You can abide with Him. What do you want me to do? Do you want me to give? Do you want me to take? Do you want me to love in this way? Do you want me to sleep? Do you want me to rest? How much should I eat? What should I eat? To what degree? What do I do with this time? What do I do with this money? We slow it down and we go before the Lord because at the bottom of grace is this new life with God to God where we slow it down and we are mindful and we're no longer just impulsive people. You are not ruled by your introverted or extroverted tendencies. You are not ruled by what you are from one to eight on the Enneagram. Can I get a what, what? Um, you're not ruled by whatever passions you happen to have. Like, you're not ruled by those things. You can then intersect with them, and you can turn to the Lord and say, God, I'm yours, for I died and I was bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in my, in my body and my spirit, which are the Lord's. So, Lord, you made this, and you bought this with your own blood. So, it's yours. How do you want it used today? After lunch... You're going to be a passion factory. As soon as lunch is done, boop, boop, 
boop, boop, things coming up. And if you're not careful, if you don't slow it down, you're just going to follow carnality. You're just going to follow natural fleshly thinking. Slow it down. Say, all right, Lord, I'm yours. Made by you, bought with you, died with you, risen with you. No longer mastered and lorded by my passions and my inclinations. What do you want me to do? And brothers and sisters, you will find your joy not in the following of your natural passions, but you will find your joy in looking at Jesus and presenting yourself as an instrument to him. And I know it's true, but I forget it all day long. Right? So I need God's word. I need you guys as my family to help me keep looking to Jesus. Look again fresh to Christ. Look again fresh to Christ. Slow it down. Like, put a screwdriver through the autopilot button. Like, let's just, let's just kill this thing here. We just can't be self-passion-driven people. Slow it down. Preach the gospel to ourselves. I now am I'm dead in Christ. I'm alive in Christ. I'm a new creature. I'm no longer under the control of my passions. I speak to myself instead of listen to my passions. And Father, I'm yours. How do you want me to go? Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? Present myself. So these are the three hows. Preach to yourself, take the wheel from your passions, and present yourself to God. I would simply say this in wrapping all those up. You're going to have to learn the art of slowing down to do that. As a Christian, your passion factory heart is just going to just incessantly squawk box static of passions and passions and passions and passions. I mean, you're so full of it. Do you know, do you, can, do you recognize your heart doing it? Maybe this is a thought experiment for the day. Can you, by the end of the day, identify the 70 moments where your heart has auto-generated passions and you started to just follow it? Right back to the fridge for another snack. Right back for some sleep. Right back for a phone call. Right back for some social media. Right back, right back. Can you stay in touch with it? Can you notice it? Could you, by the freedom of Jesus Christ, since you died with him and live with him, can you now notice how your heart is a complete passion factory? Can you hear the static coming out of it? And then number two, can you preach to yourself like he says, remember, that though I have this, and you will till you go home to be with Jesus, you're going to have this passion factories coming out of you all the time, will you be able to slow down and continually look back with Jesus, to walk in the Spirit, to abide with Jesus, and therefore be able to actually understand what your heart longs for and not be ruled by it? Say no. We're actually, we're not going to do that. We're actually going to sit before the king and ask him what he'd like us to do, ask him which way he'd like us to go, ask him how he'd like us to love. I would challenge you today in the quietness that you might encounter on a Sunday, a little more than usual the rest of your week, consider your passions. Can you hear them? And number two, can you then preach the gospel to remembering that you died with Christ and you're no longer a slave to those passions? You, brothers and sisters in Jesus, have full ability to say no to how you feel. Say no to your natural inclinations. Instead, to look to Jesus and find the way of life and to find the way of joy in him. Let's pray. So, Father, please, um, someday we'll be free from the presence of sin completely, and we won't wrestle with it anymore. But you've been so kind to us to, 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 to give us a newfound power in this life in being liberated from the dominion of sin in our life. We're no longer mastered by it. We can see it. We can say no so that we then can live with you, follow you, 
interact with you. What a gracious thing, Father, that you don't just simply fix it when we get to be with you, that we can taste that now. It is good to live with you. Father, I just I proclaim to myself and to my brothers and sisters, to you, that the sweetest spots in my life have always been, have always been when I remember that I have died with you and I've lived with you. And they've always been when I've walked with you and followed you and not followed my gut, my heart, my passions, my desires. Those lead me to foolishness and death. You've always led me to life. And I thank you. And I pray that you would help me and I pray you'd help us with this newfound, deeper understanding of it and the promises of it. <coughs> help us, Father, by your spirit to be further liberated and to live in this newfound freedom, freedom that's already been bought for us. It's already done. We just don't know how to use it. So, Lord, please, by your spirit, thank you for showing us how to use it and please help us use this before you that we might live in the joy of you for your glory and honor. In Christ's name we pray, amen.